Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talk with a Doc, the show where we bring your questions to medical experts for insight and information. I'm your host, Mary Runoff, and here with me today is Dr. Miles Hassel, a specialist of internal medicine and the director of integrative medicine with Providence in Portland, Oregon. Today, we're answering your questions about high blood pressure and how you can treat high blood pressure without using medication. Remember, everyone, most of our questions come from you, our listeners, via social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. Use the hashtag TalkWithADoc for a chance to hear your questions in our episodes. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. So let's get started by welcoming our expert today, Dr. Hassel. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, and you actually are a repeat guest. So for our listeners who haven't heard from you before, would you start us off just by telling them a little bit about yourself and your role with the organization? Yeah. So I'm um, a general internist at St. Vincent Hospital. Um, My emphasis is uh, on helping people manage health problems with minimal pharmaceutical or surgical involvement. So it's not that we don't use conventional treatment methods when, when necessary, but we emphasize how lifestyle, nutrition, food choices, activity choices, muscle mass can dramatically alter health care for the individual without resorting to medications, and often we can avoid other uh, interventions as well. And so that's my practice. I was uh, um, raised in Australia. That's where I did my medical degree. And then I trained at uh, St. Vincent Hospital in in, uh, internal medicine, Um, and I established the integrative medicine program here. I'm actually no longer the medical director for it, though. Um, I am the director for the uh, Comprehensive Risk Reduction Clinic, and I'm a professor at Pacific University, Um, but I'm no longer the medical director for the integrative medicine program. Well, it certainly doesn't sound like you're bored, though. (laughs) No, (laughs) no. I know that today our, our primary topic is treating high blood pressure without using medication, but let's talk first about what is high blood pressure and, um, maybe what causes it. Just give us a little bit of background. So most cases of high blood pressure, we actually don't know what causes it. And and we call it essential hypertension to hide the fact that we um, don't have the foggiest what is causing it. Some cases are caused by different hormonal problems, um, kidney problems, um, uh, medications and so on. We'll touch on that in a little bit. But um, uh, the key is to know that high blood pressure is defined as, as uh, um, the, the, the pressure wave in your artery is, is, is um, causing a, a being above 120 or 130 millimeters of mercury, uh, depending on who's measuring it and, and which guideline they're following. But somewhere in that region, anything above that is, is high blood pressure. Some people would even leave uh, have an upper limit of normal of 115. Uh, there's also diastolic blood pressure, which is a lower number, which I probably, for the purpose of today's discussion, may be um, better left untouched because it's relatively unimportant um, if, if you control the systolic or the top number. So it seems that, you know, high blood pressure, at least we hear about it, it seems pretty common. And I think if, if you watch any TV at all, you hear, you know, commercial after commercial after commercial about options for how to treat it. Why, why is it so common? Well, um, it's really common uh, for a variety of reasons, but there's there's two big reversible groups of, of causes. One is medications, of which things like ibuprofen and other non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs are a common cause. Hormones, um, decongestants, um, uh, steroids such as prednisone. Um, so many, many um, of our common medications cause high blood pressure and people don't even realize it. 
The second uh, group is the people that are eating too much sugar, not getting enough exercise, and weighing too much. Um, the, more you, the broader your waistline, the more likely you are to have high blood pressure. And the importance of it isn't because of the high blood pressure part. The importance is because it can make you have a stroke, have a heart attack, cause your kidneys to be injured or, or just quit. Um, it's associated with many other um, um, sort of comorbidities. So the same uh, uh, metabolic influences that cause your blood pressure to be higher are the same metabolic influences by and large that raise your risk of diabetes and heart attack and stroke and cancer and joint disease. So it's a, um, you can call it a metabolic marker. In other words, it's a marker that something isn't right with your metabolism. It's, it's, a, it's an alarm bell going off that says, hey, this is wrong. And this is not necessarily a drug deficiency. You know, many people see problems such as high cholesterol or high blood pressure or diabetes as drug deficiency states. I have this problem. I need a drug for it. Another way of looking at it is saying, this is a um, metabolic marker. This is a marker that something is wrong with how my body is functioning. And maybe I should look at it from that perspective and see what can be done. In, in the case of high blood pressure, for example, um, the vast majority of people probably can be treated without medications, the vast majority. Now, there are some that because of their um, abnormal um, adrenal function or kidney function and things like that, uh, we, are, we, are, uh, we don't have good options apart from medications. But the vast majority don't have that um, problem. And so we divide this into primary hypertension and secondary hypertension. The primary hypertension or essential hypertension are the kind that don't have an obvious cause. Secondary hypertensions are more difficult to treat and probably in most cases require um, medications. So if, if the goal here then is to treat high blood pressure without medications, what are those options? So the first thing we um, sort of talk to the patient about is, why do they care about their high blood pressure? Because we say we don't actually care what the blood pressure number is. We care about your risk of stroke and heart attack and kidney failure and, and going blind um, so that they, they start thinking more globally than just the high blood pressure. Then we look at what is going on with respect to their other medications. Are they taking something that could cause high blood pressure? Um, and as I said, the most common ones are hormones, non steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen, um, decong decongestants, um, steroids, that kind of thing. Um, and see if there's anything there uh, that can be, that can be um, avoided. The next stage is we look at um, whether there's anything else they're doing. So there's a number of natural products, for example, alcohol, excess alcohol causes high blood pressure. Um, licorice in some people, believe it or not, can cause high blood pressure, um, which is really disappointing for those of us that like licorice. I was just going um, to say, how about, is it is it all of them? Because I like red over black. <laughs> Does it matter? Red, oh, come on, come on, come on. Red <laughs> licorice is not licorice. Oh, red licorice oh, we can is, debate is, this all day. <laughs> red licorice is red gooey stuff. For those of us that take licorice seriously, I'll have you know, <laughs> licorice involves something from the licorice plant. All you know, just, just, just you, you can tell I take this stuff seriously because I'm. Honestly, a I'm not fan. even going to ask you about pineapple on pizza. I feel like this could go a whole different direction. <laughs> um, then there's a then there's a few other things that um, uh, that are they're also dietary. And that is excess sugars and refined carbohydrates. It's often overlooked that these are one of the strongest contributors to both high blood pressure as well as um, heart attack and stroke, diabetes, of course. Um, and people just often just don't, don't, don't um, really perceive that to be a major issue. Uh, and so simply getting rid of the sugars and, and uh, refined carbs, which often involves almost anything made with flour, breads, um, 
pastas, crackers, that kind of thing, pastries as well. Um, so we've looked at kind of what are they putting into themselves that might be causing high blood pressure. And then we look at sort of the basic meta metabolism of the patient. And the biggest uh, factor uh, to look at is, is their waistline. Um, if you are overweight, your chance of high, having high blood pressure rise rapidly. And if we can start by controlling that, we also reduce, because the high blood pressure is not just a marker of things like heart attack and, and stroke risk, which are all pretty important, of course, but also um, tend to be predictors of things like um, diabetes. And so let's pretend that we're seeing a 35 or 40-year-old person who's maybe only 10, 15, 20 pounds overweight, um, who don't really think of weight as their major issue, but they have high blood pressure. Do we look at that person and say, wow, you've got a drug deficiency. You need medications to treat that high blood pressure. Or do we say, you've got a metabolic problem that if we treat it now, we are not just treating your high blood pressure, but we're treating your future risk for diabetes, heart attack, stroke, cancer, and so on. So it involves, a, um, a, the patient has to have a completely different view. And often that view has to involve a long-term view of life. Because treating blood pressure with drugs, it's fairly simple. You take a medicine, you're done. Um, and often it works. And it does reduce your risk a little bit. At no point do I want to give the impression that the, that, that the medications are ineffective. They're just nowhere near as effective as lifestyle. Um, but, but if you take the pill, if you don't get bad side effects or, or it's not impoverishing you, it's a fairly straightforward decision. Whereas um, to, to treat high blood pressure using uh, lifestyle measures says that I'm looking ahead 10, 20 years, 30 years maybe, 40 years for the younger people. Um, and I say, I'm going to be doing my best to feel better, to be healthier uh, throughout that entire uh, phase of life not just treating one number, not just making this look like it's a, um, uh, a drug deficiency state, which is in most cases it's not, but in some cases it is. Um, so then we start, start talking about what can be done about the waistline. Um, and, and, and that involves eating less, eating better, and activity. And each of these things helps, helps blood pressure. Before we get onto that, um, I'd also like to talk about a few foods that are often thought to cause high blood pressure that don't. Um, and those include things like coffee and tea, caffeine-containing products, coffee, tea, chocolate, um, which probably decrease blood pressure, including chocolate, I'll have you know. And just in case any of you didn't hear me right, um, chocolate seems to be associated with lower uh, rates of high blood pressure. How's that? I like in the direction of this. Uh -huh, like uh -huh. <laughs> even if even if I condemn um, even if I condemn uh, red licorice. Um, <laughs> excuse me, red licorice. Did you see the air quotes around the licorice? The, the licorice um, that maybe red maybe red, red pink yeah. licorice. Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> um, uh, the, uh, and and the, that's often sort of forgotten. Um, the things like because so many times people go to a doctor and they're told, oh, you got to cut back on your caffeine because you have high blood pressure. And that's, I would argue that's absolutely not an evidence-based answer. I, clearly, I like coffee and tea. Um, something else that's worth uh, pointing out at this point is perhaps is, is the role of sodium. Um, sodium's role for high blood pressure appears to be fairly weak. And in the context of a, um, of a healthy diet, of an omnivorous diet like we're going to discuss, um, 
may may have very little function at all because an omnivorous whole food diet tends to have a lot of potassium, which tends to blunt any adverse effect of sodium. So our recommendations for sodium in this regard are avoid pre-salted foods, prepared foods made outside the home that are salty, uh, which is where 75% of the salt comes from in the in in the American diet. Well, gosh, um, anytime you're eating uh-huh. something you didn't prepare, you have no idea how much butter's in it, oils in it, salts in it. I mean, yeah. Except, but you're making it sound like there's something wrong with butter and oil. <laughs> I'm a pro butter. I'm a pro butter, pro oil person. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. We'll get onto that in just a second. That's Especially interesting. Yeah, of, because we yeah, always hear that clogs our arteries. It's all bad for us. I suppose it depends on what kind. But yes, okay. So prepared foods are a problem from all kinds of perspectives. Um, watch out for food made outside the home, of which sodium is actually only a small part. But does the salt shaker used on homemade food contribute to high blood pressure? That would be very difficult to show. Um, and so we, we don't tend to make a big deal of, of sodium except for sodium in prepared foods. So then um, let's look at those three factors, um, dietary choices, dietary quantity, um, and, uh, and exercise. And each of these um, sets of choices independently can lower blood pressure. And it's hard to um, peel off their effect on blood pressure from their effect on the waistline. So you get sort of this blurring effect of saying, you know, is it really weight loss or is it really dietary choices or really fitness? And the answer is it's probably only in the blend. So if we talk about diet, um, probably the most thoughtful diet to adopt is, is something omnivorous, whole food, and it involves cooking at home. If you're not gonna cook at home, probably dietary choices don't actually matter all that much, believe it or not. Um, And we could talk sometime about the whole issue of processed food and why that's important. Um, So the the dietary approach we use is the Mediterranean-style diets. We have a book on this called Good Food, Great Medicine, which is in its fourth edition. Um, I actually have it. I think you sent it to me last time we talked. And I, I, it was amazing. And I actually learned a great deal about, uh, about the diet and about what to eat and about actually like organic food. And, and like the dirt in the food is actually not bad for you if you grow it yourself. There's a lot of great information in there. And I didn't even mention red licorice, did I? <laughs> no, no, you did not. <laughs> um, so the Mediterranean style diets are whole food diets, emphasizing uh, fruits, vegetables, beans, and whole grains, um, nuts, uh, good fat, um, which includes dairy fat and uh, and olive oil, especially olive oil. Um, it includes uh, animal proteins like meat and fish, chicken, um, lamb. Um, uh, and it is not particularly low in fat or cholesterol as a general rule. Um, in general, it also includes some alcohol, um, arguably up to about seven drinks a week in women and up to about 14 drinks in men are probably associated with lower total mortality rates. Um, so it's a, just an old-fashioned omnivorous diet, meaning it, it includes whole foods from all aspects of, of, uh, of the dietary spectrum. Um, and so that's sort of where we start. Within that, we emphasize vegetables over everything else. And the reason is, Vegetables not only lower blood pressure, especially green leafies and celery, and we don't really know why. There's a possibility that's due to nitrate, but many of the studies don't confirm that, um, uh, that, that aspect. It might be the higher potassium levels. There's a variety of possibilities. We use vegetables both as a, um, uh, both as a, as an antihypertensive, um, uh, treatment in and of, of themselves, um, but also by having people eat a lot of whole fruit or vegetables before a meal, 
we reduce their total calorie intake without giving them hunger. So they're still nice to us. Um, and they maintain uh, the dietary approach. And one of the interesting things about the Mediterranean diet studies is that the researchers often comment that it's easy to keep people on the Mediterranean-style diet because there's nothing too radical about it. It includes all the foods they normally like, pretty much, except for the uh, sweets. Um, but they don't have to go on a low-fat, low-salt approach that's kind of tasteless like cardboard. So we really emphasize vegetables, have, suggest they have whole fruits or vegetables before meals um, so that they simply eat less. So that we, we talk about dietary choices, and then we talk about dietary quantity. Within all that, we really continually are emphasizing get rid of refined carbohydrates. So the kind of refined carbohydrates that we've already touched on are sugars, um, foods made with most flours, um, which would include uh, breads, pastries, uh, pastas, uh, and crackers, um, and things like breakfast cereals, um, meal replacement bars, meal replacement drinks. These are almost all fairly high in, in, uh, in, in sugars, and that's often ignored. And so even without looking at the problems with the processed foods bring with them, then the, then the high carbohydrate content appears to be associated with higher, more blood pressure, more heart disease and stroke, and we don't really know why. Um, then the next thing we talk about is exercise. Um, and the, uh, the role of exercise is just fascinating because in and of itself, most studies don't show that exercise reduces um, uh, weight. But it does cause redistribution of weight in most cases. Um, and it does seem to be associated with, with um, reductions in, in blood pressure. Um, metabolically, if you look at the, the, the uh, long-term metabolic effects on the body, it appears that multiple episodes of exercise a day work better than the same volume of exercise done once. And so an example of that is we'll often have people do something three times a day. We ask them to do something that involves their upper body and lower body that makes them shorter breath and sweaty and we don't really care how long they exercise for. So a patient will look at me who hasn't exercised in the last 52 years and says, well, how long should I exercise for? I said, well, shorter breath and sweaty. You can stop. And they say, 30 seconds. Of, is, it, mm -hmm. is that kind of like HIIT training though, right? Where you do this high impact just for a quick moment, but you do it several times. Is it similar? It's, it's, it's part of that spectrum, yes, except I don't use HIIT training because I don't want to scare people. So, I understand that. <laughs> so, so by telling him, I'm so I'm I'm a I, I, I'm a hit person myself. Um, so uh, rather than <clears throat> tell them that they have to do anything in particular, I just say they've got to get shorter breath and sweaty, and then I ask them how are they going to do that. It might be stairs in their home. We um, are if you ever come to our office, it's just it's um it's uh everywhere you look, there's some kind of exercise equipment. It'll be discreet. Everything from trekking poles and a body blade to medicine balls to light weights to skipping ropes to resistance bands, um, pull-up bars, TRX straps. This is all cheap stuff. You know, you can equip yourself. Um, I mean, a, a, a skip rope is five bucks, okay? You, people have no excuse not to exercise. Um, you can well, your do own, jumping. Your own body resistance, right? I mean, sometimes yeah. I find that just doing push-ups or even like yeah. push-ups against a wall. I mean, I weigh enough that it's good. It's a good amount of resistance. Oh yeah, yeah, no, all that stuff. And um, and people will say, well, I don't get sweaty. This I hear this all the time. So I hand them a medicine ball and say, toss that in the air 15 times. Now this is not a ton of work, right? This is doable by even by 80-year-olds who have an exercise. And they suddenly find they're getting sweaty. The reason they don't think, believe they get sweaty is they haven't moved enough for 52 years. Um, 
And so, so we just ask them what they can do. Do you have stairs in your home? We don't ask them to go to a gym. We don't ask them to spend a lot of money. Um, if they want to spend a lot of money. It's kind of fun to have things like rowing machines and whatnot. But if you just do jumping jacks, if you've got some cans of soup, so what has to happen is between the ears, they've got to decide that they want to be better. And do they want to be better in five and 10 and 15 or 20 years? Or do they see themselves as having a drug deficiency? And when I, when I really face them with that drug deficiency question over and over again, they gradually get the message. Because often people sort of have been, um, in my, and I'm going to use a mean word here, but sort of brainwashed into this idea that problems require pills. And that's just how you take care of problems. You take a pill. Um, and that's to us, so that doesn't accurate. make sense. I feel like everybody wants that. They want a pill for everything. I have a headache. I want a pill. I'm overweight. I want a pill. My foot hurts. I want a pill. I feel like everybody lives this just pill popping lifestyle. Oh yeah, and it's 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 obvious from advertisements and stuff that it's a successful it's a successful marketing approach. Um, but is a successful long-term approach? Well, this has been fascinating, but we do have to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation on treating high blood pressure without medication. Hey, feeling good, like I should. When in the walk around the neighborhood. Feeling blessed, never stressed. Got that sunshine on my Sunday bed. Every day can be a better day despite the challenge. All you gotta do is leave it better than you found it. It's gonna get difficult to stand, but hold your balance. I just say whatever, cause there is no way you're round. Everyone falls down sometimes, but you just gotta know it'll all be fine. It's okay. We are back on Talk with the Doc today. We have Dr. Miles Hassel, and we've been talking about high blood pressure, how you treat it without the use of medication. Um, and we've been talking a lot about diets and food and what's best for our heart health. So let's get back to this, Doc. I have to ask you another question when it comes to like diet and eating right, because obviously we know that that's the right direction to go. But when you're talking about something, especially like high blood pressure or heart health, is it more important to lose a substantial amount of weight over time if you're very heavy or is it more important to try to lose it quickly? Because I feel like that's what we hear from a lot of people is, do I need to lose the weight really fast? Or is it something I can do over time and still have the same impact? Yeah, so um, my understanding of the literature is that the long-term weight maintenance is the issue. So if we cause a patient to yo-yo, we haven't given, um, given them any favors. If we teach them a method that will get their weight down and keep it down, We've done them, I mean, them an enormous favor. And so I would be the slow and steady approach person. And so we argue that for our patients for whom high blood pressure is uh, likely a function of their waistline, which is the majority, um, and it might only be 10 pounds. You don't have to be 100 pounds overweight to have high blood pressure due to your weight. It's amazing how many people um, drop their, their blood pressure substantially with improved diets, improved fitness, and 10 pounds weight loss. Oh my um, gosh, we hear that a lot with diabetes, right? You lose 20 pounds and all of a sudden you don't need insulin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we aim for about a pound a week weight loss. Uh, we say we don't care if it takes you six months or two years to get to, to your goal as long as you're moving towards that goal. And as long as you're reinforcing habits that are doable for a lifetime. 
So every time we see a patient back and, and talk to them about what they've done, and let's pretend they've been really successful and they're, you know, they're down three pounds, they're eating great, and they're exercising a couple of times a day, our next question is always, is this a pattern that's sustainable for you, or is this just unpleasant? This is like studying for an exam and you're not going to be able to sustain it. Because what we want to do is find methods for our patients that are sustainable, that are fun. Um, so I'm a big games person. So I would, I would far prefer to play ping pong or go for a hike or play tennis than I would be to exercise for the same purpose of exercise. And so, you know, for many people, that's the case. And so more and more, we try to um, find, find uh, what, what will trigger their, their uh, enjoy juices. What will, what will make them have fun? What will make them have fun with other people? And this is especially in the elderly. If you can improve people's fitness in the context of something that requires um, uh, strategy and who uh, and, and socializing with other people, you probably also substantially reduce your risk of uh, dementia, which is sort of a side issue here. Really? That's interesting. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's really, it's really kind of fun. Um, there's also interesting evidence that, that purpose, just having a sense of purpose, um, dramatically reduces your, your uh, risk of dementia, even when you have pathologic brain changes that are associated with dementia. In other words, the pathology of your brain says you should have dementia. The people with higher sense of purpose have dramatically lower rates of dementia, um, even with the same pathology brain changes. Um, and it's, it's kind of intriguing to think of what, what the mechanisms for that might be, but it's really important to, to appreciate. So one of the things we talk to patients about is purpose, and, and that obviously is, is bound up in that issue of, hey, if we look forward 10 or 20 years, what kind of life do you want to have? Um, do you want to be on a bunch of meds or do you want to be having a good life without a bunch of meds and so on? Am I making sense? Absolutely. You're making perfect sense. And I really like <laughs> the direction this is going because I think, you know, originally we were just going to talk about, you know, how do you not use medication? But I think what you're talking is complete almost lifestyle overhaul, right? Like there's the healthy way to eat. There's the good foods. There's the bad foods. There's the way to think about it. There's the, you know, lose weight, but not too dramatically. I think, I think this is fascinating. I think we could have five or six shows out of this. <laughs> well, one of the interesting, can I, can I just go back to the, one of the fundamentals that I think it's easy to, to, for us to overlook? And that is high blood pressure is not a problem in isolation. High blood pressure is a marker of metabolic dysfunction. And so you see, if you see it as the tip of the iceberg, it's a whole lot different than if you see it as the entire iceberg. And I think the tip of the iceberg concept is much more supported in literature. Can we talk about olive oil for a second? Oh, please, let's do. Um, so olive oil is a, is, um, is a really interesting uh, substance that in the extra virgin form, so the extra virgin olive oil is the first pressing from olives. Um, and so olive oil has all these funny uh, fatty acids and it has all these funny polyphenols, but the only, the polyphenols are only highly present in the extra virgin form. So when I'm talking olive oil, I'm talking extra virgin or sometimes the foodies call it EVOO or EVU. Um, and olive oil in and of itself lowers blood pressure to a useful degree. Um, and it's, it's an intrinsic part in all the Mediterranean diet studies. And when, when, when we're talking to patients about food, we like to point out that olive oil is the only vegetable oil that's been shown to have long-term health impact, beneficial long-term health impact. Um, and it's the only relatively unprocessed so, uh, um, uh, vegetable oil. So for olive oil, um, uh, then extra virgin olive oil is pressed from the olives in the same way that it was pressed 5,000 years ago. 
Nothing's changed. And in order to be called extra virgin, it has to be pressed at less than 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, so in other words, you can't even press on a hot day. So it's, it's a true cold-pressed oil. Now, in contrast to all the other, those other vegetable oils you see in the supermarket, the avocado oil and the grapeseed oils and, the, and so on, uh, these things are, whether they're cold-pressed or not, they're, they're post-pressing um, processing involves multiple hundreds of degrees, steaming, filtering, all kinds of things to remove the flavors because they taste awful in most cases. And there's very few exceptions to that. And those are primarily the nut and seed oils, the traditional like sunflower oil and sesame oil and walnut oil and so on, which are incredibly expensive. Um, what about so avocado a, oil? I have to ask that because I switched from olive oil, which I love, to avocado oil because the olive oil seemed to be so much higher in calorie. Well, so far, um, so you've been lied to. Um, but what do you expect of somebody who eats red eats licorice? red licorice? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, uh, and and I don't I use, don't use the word lied to lightly. Um, so. Oils of all kinds, all vegetable oils, run about nine calories per gram. So anybody who's told you there's less calories in olive oil uh, in, in uh, avocado oils is is either incredibly ignorant or just plain lying. They're probably just ignorant because they probably don't really want to lie. Um, secondly, the the uh, question to ask anybody who talks about avocado oil is, hey, can you walk me through how this is made step by step? You're not allowed to skip any steps. You got to tell me exactly how it's made. Because if I squash avocados, I don't get anything that looks like avocado oil. If I squash olives, I get olive oil. And so tell me exactly and what involves. So they, they do the first pressings of the, uh, and then they have to put it through multiple stages of processing, uh, industrial processing, in order to make it taste good. Um, I don't think, and the, the key argument I use for people is, can you show me any evidence avocado oil is associated with better health outcomes? And the answer is, nope. If, if you do find out something you can tell you, let me know because I've never seen it. Uh, <laughs> and I've looked. Um, whereas olive oil has a bucket load of everything from high blood pressure, heart disease, stroke, mood, um, uh, arrhythmias, uh, cancer. The people who use the most olive oil run about 40% lower risk of all cancers. What about Take coconut that. oil? Ha. Coconut oil is probably okay. Um, so we use a, an important principle in our practice um, called historical precedent. So if something has been done for hundreds or thousands of years, it's probably okay, right? But it's really hard to find any evidence that coconut oil is good for you. But it probably is because people have been using it for thousands of years. Um, so we're okay with coconut oil. I do have a bias because I don't like the stuff. Um, and I'm not, aware of any, um, I'm not aware of any data that shows that it, is improved, it improves health outcomes. So whenever our patients, you know, you know, bulletproof coffee, does that term mean? Yeah. 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 So, you know, people are, and I say, you know, exactly why do you want to put a couple of hundred extra calories into your diet? Um, you know, what is this about? Because even with olive oil, we don't suggest people just drink olive oil. Um, and, and in fact, if people do, they start gaining weight because it's, you know, still nine calories per gram. Um, and so what we do is encourage the traditional use of olive oil, which is used as part of the food pro food process. So your dressings, your frying, and that kind of thing. If you had to pick one thing for somebody who maybe has high blood pressure to focus on when it comes to either diet or weight loss, would it be kind of this lack of processed food? Would it be switching to olive oil? for Like what, what's a low-hanging fruit thing for somebody to do? Celery. 
I'm sorry, what? Celery. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited you said celery. You don't even know. I eat like 10 or 11 stalks a day. I have it with my peanut butter. I have it in my stir fry. Like I love celery. Uh-huh. Do you have high blood pressure? I don't. What a relief. Because if you said Never you have. did, it would have blown <laughs> it would have blown my story badly. So um it's really in green leafy vegetables, celery, um, cherries, beets, um, are all source of a lot of nitrogen. And uh, the thought has been historically that nitrate lowers blood pressure through through a couple of different mechanisms. But and that story may or may not be correct. But what we do know is that people who eat a lot of vegetables, especially green leafies, have lower blood pressure. And so we um, will often treat people with uh, with high blood pressure if they're interested with three or four stalks of celery a day. Now, the thing about that is, you know, what's the mechanism? Because if you're eating three or four stalks of celery a day, you're eating less of everything else. So is it just simply they're eating more vegetables. That's a possibility. Is it the nitrate? May or may not be true, but whatever it is, we find it an incredibly um, um, effective um, way of lowering people's blood pressure. And as I said, we, we encourage people to eat whole fruits or vegetables before every meal and snack, because that's one of our keys for reducing total calorie intake. Because even when you're eating a fabulous diet, great choices, you can still eat too much. And so um, by eating fruits and vegetables before every meal and snack, you simply gradually reduce how much you're eating. It's much easier to lose weight. It's very, very true. I, I focused on a very much a calories in, calories out, and how much I ate during certain times of the day. And I really like to fill up on vegetables. And I try to eat my vegetables before I eat the rest of my meal. And I find that I don't often finish the rest of my meal. And that's great for me because that means dessert's out. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and and, and that, that's probably you know if you if I was going to answer that question again about what's the lowest hanging fruit, it'd probably be the refined carbohydrates. I got all excited about the celery part of the story, but um, <laughs> in reality, probably if there's one thing we see having more effect than anything else, um, you know, let's say if uh, Bill Gates came to me and said, "Hey, Miles, I want you to make me healthier in two weeks, um, and you can only tell me to do one thing." But here's, you know, $100,000 if it, if it works. It'd be get rid of sugars and refined flours. You know what bothers me a little bit about that answer, though? And, and I'm not a doctor, so bear with me. But I feel like people hear that and then they instantly go to keto. And keto scares me. Oh, yeah, keto is nuts. And I think, you see, I apologize for being offensive, but I think keto is nuts. Um, uh, you, know, you and keto, me both, Doc. Because, <laughs> um, you know, there's no evidence of of, of any meaningful health improvement with, with keto apart from weight loss, and you can you can lose weight loss any old way. Um, do, have you ever heard of the Twinkie diet? No, it's but a, I, you no. might want to sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, um, there's a professor who who got excited by you know sick of hearing about different diets, and so he showed that if you eat Twinkies, you can lose weight. Uh, his point it was it, he was he was making a point of saying that you can lose weight on any diet if you eat less. Absolutely. But that's if you eat one Twinkie a week, you're probably okay. But well, probably actually you're <laughs> well, not he, okay. He you're only, not going to have enough he, nutrients. But he only ate Twinkies. Um, uh, but the but the point is, we're not just trying to help people lose weight. We're trying to help them be healthier. And there's not a person on the planet, I suspect, who would say that losing weight eating Twinkies is a better is a good idea. So, weight loss by in and of itself can be achieved through numerous different mechanisms. Some healthy, some unhealthy. I don't know of a good case for, for the keto diet at all, but I can tell you that most keto, keto people get pretty sick of it after a little while, and pretty soon they're eating kind of what looks like a Mediterranean diet to me. So, um, so we humor them, um, 
and to suggest that they, hey, um, why don't you include a little bit of uh, fruits and vegetables, beans and grains here and there? Um, we like to point out to keto people that of all the um, food groups on the planet, it may well be that grains have the greatest evidence for benefit. That drives them crazy. Um, you know what bothers uh, me the most about the keto is, is well, the fats, but it's that you can't have fruits. Like you can't have yeah. berries. You can't. I, I don't know that I could survive without fruit. Well, the thing that bothers me most about keto is it's absolutely opposed to the science. That's it's a religion. not all that surprising. <laughs> it's a religion and, uh, and a very effective religion. But, um, and because yeah. they lose weight um, and they can eat all the bacon they want. And uh, my paleo friends are the same because they eat, they, they eat tons of bacon. And they say, where did paleolithic man get bacon? Huh? 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 <laughs> and if I'm feeling really snarky, I ask them to define who Paleolithic man is, and I, they have trouble with that too. Um, so yeah, just you know, we we say um, uh, a Greek grandmother is worth a dozen physicians. Well, it's history, right? History yeah. tells the story. Yeah, absolutely. And those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. <laughs> They're doomed to eat red licorice. I heard you say it in your head. <laughs> Talk with the Doc. We'll be right back after this quick break. Sometimes I just can't take it. Sometimes I just can't take it and it isn't all right. I'm not going to make it. And I think my shoes are tight. I'm like a broken record.
Some people, I know you mentioned that, you know, some people have to have medication, right? This is not just necessarily going to be an option, but are there some people where medication would help control the blood pressure for a while until they could get to a point where they could do, say, the workout or they could change the eating style and maybe they'd eventually get to a point where they don't need the medication? Correct. Yeah. So we usually start people on medications unless they're, if their blood pressure is only a tiny bit elevated, we say, hey, you know, work with us and let's see what things look like in a month. Um... But most of the time, the people's blood pressure is high enough that we start medications and then uh, talk to them that our expectation is we'll probably be able to peel them off um, over time. And that's, that's the most common pattern for us. And when we're starting those medications, we remind them that their risk of heart attack and stroke is much lower if they don't need high blood pressure medicines than if they have perfectly treated high blood pressure. And I should well, I was, have said this I'm... to start with. So remember, blood pressure is a marker of metabolic dysfunction. It's not doesn't tell the whole story. It says that there's something wrong, the tip of the iceberg concept. If high blood pressure uh, medicines reduce the risk of stroke for the person with high blood pressure to the same degree as if they didn't have high blood pressure at all, then you'd say, hmm, that's pretty good. Some people aren't going to do this, that, and exercise stuff anyway. So why don't you just use meds? And that would be a strong argument. However, even perfectly, even the person with perfectly treated high blood pressure using medications is still at two to three times higher risk of stroke than the person who doesn't have high blood pressure. So talk to me, though, a little bit about this medication versus not, because I think what you're saying makes sense to me. But, but what are the kind of the implications of why you wouldn't want to take the blood pressure medication? I mean, I understand the socioeconomic. Maybe I don't have insurance and it's expensive. Right, um, but what are the other downsides to taking blood medica- blood pressure medication? Is it is there extended periods? To, is there more damage to the body? What's the deal there? Yeah. So the first uh, the, the first downside is it doesn't treat the risk of stroke because once again we don't care about the high blood pressure. We care about your risk of stroke, heart attack, and so on. Um. So the fact that treating perfectly brilliantly treated high blood pressure using medications does not lower your risk of stroke to the same degree as not having high blood pressure, that should bother people to start with. So that's the first downside. It doesn't do as effective a job as, as diet and lifestyle, when diet and lifestyle works. The second thing is every high blood pressure medicine has um, potentially pretty severe um, side effects in some people. Um, it can, they can individually, some of them can cause kidney failure. We look pretty carefully for that. Uh, many of them can cause electrolyte deficiency, so you, then you have to take an additional pill to replace your potassium or magnesium or both. Um, they can mess up your sodium, and, which can make you crazy, and then you start eating red licorice. Um, the, uh, um, many of them give you rashes. Some of them give you coughs. Beta blockers can cause uh, um, depression and asthma. Some of them can increase your risk of, of uh, many of them can increase your risk of um, uh, uh, you're diabetes. Starting to, you're starting to sound like the TV commercials. <laughs> they cause diarrhea, unintentional headaches. 
Right. But but it's all it's all true, and it's all it's common enough that we see it all the time. We you know we it's it's so ordinary. For example, take beta blockers. So beta blockers aren't in our practice; they're not first line medications, but they're a common one for high blood pressure. Um, they raise your risk of dyslipidemia, in other words, abnormal um, um, blood fat, depression, diabetes. Um, they they slow down your metabolism. They often just take away some of the energy. Most of these antihypertensives cause erectile dysfunction in men. Um, and and these guys then they nobody tells them that, and so now they're on medicines for that problem. Um, then they have to go get counseling and stuff. Uh, and and it it just it's just this body of side effects that people take for granted because they don't think about what the alternative is. The alternative is hard work, but hard work that makes life in five and ten and fifteen twenty years so much better. How's my sales pitch going? I love it. Well, but it's it's true. I think you and I, you know, talked in a, in a previous show. Like, it took me eighteen months to lose the weight that I needed to lose, and it was slow, but it was a lifestyle change, right? I changed the way I ate. I changed what I ate. I changed, you know, how much I ate. I worked out. I changed the way I worked out. Like, it was a lot of effort, but it really it paid off in the long run. And I feel like anytime you can talk to somebody about not having to take a medication that potentially could have these other side effects or could make you need to take a different medication or could, mm -hmm. you know, impact your mental health, why would you not want to? And I guess that's, that's maybe one of my last questions for you is, you know, if you're trying to get people to, to take this alternative route, this more holistic route, or I don't know, homeopathic route, maybe potentially, are you getting met with resistance? Are most people open to it? Or do you kind of have those diehard, no, I really want to just take a pill and call it a day? Yeah, um, I'm probably not the best person to ask because people know me as being a certain way. Um, and so patients who come to me are generally self-selected because um, they want they want something different. Um, but I know talking to my colleagues who have more conventional practices who aren't quite as wacky as I am, um, uh, they they meet with a lot of resistance about it. and uh, And I don't know a good way to approach that, except that I think the medical profession needs to, to put on its big boy pants and tell people that in many cases, in most cases of hypertension, for example, that drug therapies are a poor second best. A poor second best. And until we, until we get the medical profession to the point where it can honestly say things like that, you know, really look at the literature and say, you know what, there's something better here, and say that to every patient then I think that the people's resistance will continue because they're going to say, why should I go to all this work? I don't like their size. I don't want to eat vegetables. I like my Twinkies. Um, I don't like vegetables. I, 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 apples bore me. Um, I don't want to take this time to chop vegetables. I don't want to cook. I don't like cooking. All these things that people say. Oh, there's so but, many excuses. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And you can understand them. Um, you know, we spend at my house, we spend quite a bit of time every day preparing food. It's just the way it is. Um, we don't have a TV. You know, there's a bunch of stuff that, that, that you know, the places you can get time. But, but it becomes a way of life, though. I mean, over time, right? Like, I oh, yeah. I grow my own vegetables, right? I have my own yeah. farm. So for me, it's every single day I'm really tending to what I'm going to put into my body. But And yes, it does take a lot of time and it is a lifestyle change. But I also go to the grocery store maybe twice a month. Right? Yep. It's, it's much more economical for me, but I know everything that I'm putting into my body for the most part, and it's totally worth it for me. Oh, yeah, because it's not just high blood pressure preventing. It's diabetes, dementia, cancer, blah, 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 blah.
It's not that any of us are bulletproof. It's not that I'm not going to be dead of pancreatic cancer tomorrow, but the odds of it are going to be much, much, much less, and we could demonstrate that. Um, uh, in fact, there's, if I can give you some statistics from the nurses' health study, so this study has gone, you'd say, about 30 years, um, uh, maybe 120, 130,000 people enrolled in the, in the analysis that I'm quoting, and, and like 20 to 40% lower risk during, the, during that time of everything, mortality, cancer, um, uh, um, heart disease, stroke. You know, you name it. Um, it's it's the almost every ailment of man is 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 substantially reduced. Diabetes in that population is reduced by ninety percent. Ninety percent. That alone would change the healthcare um, um, uh, landscape oh of gosh. the United States. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Uh, not to mention, and if you look at you know, other things like, say, take depression. Take what I just said about treating high blood pressure and apply it to people with moderate to severe depression. It's the most single most effective treatment. How many depressed people get taught this? Virtually none. If you think about it, eating right, working out is basically going to fix like 80 to 90% of what's wrong with us. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. there's cancer. Don't get me wrong. There's definitely genetic situation. But for what most of America is suffering from, high blood pressure, diabetes, you know, lung conditions from smoking, all these things really could be course corrected if we just did what they told us to do our entire mm -hmm. lives, right? Eat your vegetables. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Work yeah. out, get some, get some, you know, sweat going. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. And, and just take something that, as I understand some of the surveys that they do, they say the most common thing that people present to a doctor with is fatigue. Um, well, this takes care of fatigue too. And so that's where we keep going back and saying to people, this isn't about your high blood pressure. This is about your high blood pressure as a marker of aberrant metabolism and why um, um, uh, red licorice is satanic. <laughs> You're never going to let me live this one down. <laughs> I absolutely love talking with you. And every time you come to the show, I'm just more and more fascinated with your expertise and the way that you think, because I think you have that clinical expertise that is so valuable, but you have it in such a humanistic approach that I think anybody, any of your patients must really value the fact that they can have a conversation with you and feel like they're having coffee with a friend as opposed to, I've been there in that situation where you're sitting in the exam room and you're just waiting to either be lectured or you're, you feel like you're not even going to understand what your doctor is saying to you. So I, I am just so happy for all of your patients and I'm so happy for our listeners to get to listen to you and to hear your perspective. So I just can't thank you enough for, for coming back to the show. Well, thank you. So thank you so much, Dr. Hassel, for coming back and joining us today on Talk with a Doc and everyone for listening and sending in your questions. We look forward to future topics with more experts from Providence. Make sure to listen to our future episodes on Dash Radio under the Future of Health Radio or your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our missions, programs, and services, visit Providence.org. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.